Hey there, Sunny here. Uh, before we get started, I just realized I should probably say this episode has quite a lot of uh, colorful language and also some talk of illicit drug use. So um, if those things don't bother you, please listen. This episode is about uh, a very unique and big-hearted character that I think is really worth knowing. Okay, here we go. You're listening to The Staple. An arts and culture podcast, podcast presented, presented by, by the IPRC. The IPRC. Learn, make, share. Oh no! I said I didn't want to do that. <laughs> so let's get a zine for zine talk. It was pretty hard, okay? Nobody even got triple digits. That's, that's pretty rare. Usually, uh, somebody's always over 100, but that's my fault. I guess I'm too hard for you. Number one. Also, you know that's smart. Number one is Cholula is the hot sauce and the pyramid. Cholula. Number two, the average age of a viewer of Bill O'Reilly's O'Reilly Factory is 72. 72. That's Nielsen. Nielsen did that. That's, they're the ones who do it. Number three. Uh, Bar trivia saved Roy Smallwood's life. At least, that's my hunch. To see if it's true, we need to go back, way back, to when he was five years old. Uh, number five. I, I grew up worshiping comedy you know, from the earliest I remember. I remember watching like the first season of Saturday Night Live. I was five years old, and my, I was so fucking apeshit about it that my, my parents let me stay up and watch it. I couldn't. I could never finish it. You know, I'd always fall asleep. But and when he was ten years old, Second City TV started airing in the states. If you don't know it, it's a revered sketch comedy show where you can see a young Rick Moranis and John Candy and Catherine O'Hara, among others. So much more intelligent and visionary than like anything. I mean, there's still there is great stuff going on now, but like it's weird. It's characterized comedy, very character heavy, and like they did some sketches that were more easily appealing, like Strange Brew. <laughs> That was the one that they did to, you know, like to, to please. The, that was the one that's, you know, a sketch that was popular, only a couple. But most of it was pretty out there. Their Ingmar Bergman parody, for example. 1981 on national television, on NBC, there's like a 10 minute long bizarro Bergman parody, Ingmar Bergman parody on NBC on a Friday night. So SCTV would come on at 1230 on a Friday night, and I would like watch it, and I didn't know like, like two thirds of it. I had no idea what the fuck was going on. And my parents were like, why do you like this? And they would like certain parts of it. And we're like, I don't know. And so we watched, so I remember this, this, this Bergman parody. Uh, Cry of the Wolf or some shit. It's we called. have Whispers of the Wolf. It's like, the weird, it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> That's kind of scary, you believe me. Whispers of the Wolf. I didn't know who Ingmar Bergman was, and I'm watching this thing, and my, 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 my mom, like, walking out of the room, she's like, what the fuck is this, you know, it's, what are they doing, and I was like, I don't know, but it's weird, and I fucking love it, and I'm one day, it's like watching comedy and being like, I want to understand this, I know that I have no idea how to, and I, but there's something bizarre about it, and it's on NBC, and the very next night, you got Saturday Night Live. So, from the outset, Roy was obsessed with comedy. At the time, his family was living in the Virginian Appalachians, and television was the only place he could hear these kinds of comedic sketches. But when they moved to a suburb of Washington, D.C., Roy, just going into high school... Broad Run High School in, in uh, Ashburn, Virginia. Right. There, 
he met 15-year-old Patton Oswalt. First day, actually, to his credit, Patton Oswalt was the nicest guy in the world to me. He was the first guy to like be nice to me. The first day, I've been sitting by myself on the school bus, and, and uh, Patton was totally cool. He sat down with me and started telling jokes, and uh, it was really nice. But Roy, and maybe it's because he came from a much smaller town, he wasn't used to having other kids around that were as funny as he was. It was just like, oh, now I'm, and I'm going to class, and I'm like, I'm, I want to make, you know, I'm trying to make jokes. And Patton Oswalt's in my fucking class, my first, like, my second class in this new high school. And he's like, he's like, and he does the announcements. He would do the announcements in the morning, like, all cornball and shit. But, of course, you're in high school. You're going to be cornball. And he was like, that was his gig. He already had the gig. So I got there, and I was like, what? I was like, no, I'm, I'm funnier than this Patton Oswalt, trust me. And it was like a constant clash. And this was a struggle for Roy. Patton was developing his style of comedy, which it sounds like was more friendly and inclusive. And Roy wanted to be more shocking. I don't know. I was the one who was more likely to get sent to the principal's office. We never were, like, real friends because I was always kind of, like, battling. And he was, like, more—he was better friends with my sister. He was in the drama shit and all that. In any case, after high school, they went on different paths— both trying to find their own way as comedians, with Patton, of course, becoming very successful, not only with his stand-up, but also doing TV and movies. And he wrote a book, Zombie, Spaceship, Wasteland. In it, Patton Oswald explained his theory that every budding creative type starts out as one of those three things, a zombie, a spaceship, or a wasteland. Every teen outcast who pursues a creative career has, at its outset, either a zombie, spaceship, or wasteland work of art in them. He wrote that he himself was a wasteland. Looking back on it now, I realize I'm a wasteland. A lot of comedians are wastelands. What is stand-up comedy except isolating specific parts of culture or humanity and holding them up against a stark, vast background to approach at an oblique angle and get laughs? And he didn't use his name, but he wrote that Roy was the classic zombie. A friend of mine from high school, more of a passing acquaintance now that I think of him, was a hardcore zombie before even he knew it. He had an unshakable love for the awkward and outcast and a quiet, final disgust with the slick and false. And he divided everyone into one of these two categories with maybe three subsets for each. Physically awkward, mentally awkward, sports slick, Republican slick. You get the idea. Years later, when I moved to L.A., he sent me a zombie script he'd written. Not a bad effort, not a great one. So Roy had sent him this screenplay for a zombie movie he'd written, and Patton took the time to not only read it, but respond with lots of notes. Which I can personally say, as a writer, I always take that as a compliment. It shows that someone is taking you seriously. But Roy, at least at the time, did not see it that way. But he he kind of trashed it and like kind of tried to rewrite it, and I got really angry. But I was... He did, in, in, in a, hu- a huge amount, too. He read it all and gave me detailed stuff. I was just, I know it is, it's great. I don't know, I, don't, I have this like little chip, chip on my shoulder that shouldn't exist. I, and then later, when Patton's book came out, Roy's friend told him about the passage that was clearly about him. He was a zombie who'd long ago taken a zombie-eyed view of the world. You see them everywhere. But, you know, he's this, he refers to me as like this guy like, who just like wants to tear down everything and is like, you know, I hate, like I hate everything. Like I'm some cynic or something. That's all I remember. I was like, I guess the the, the more that's not true. I mean, I, mean, I don't think it's true. But I mean, just from what you're saying, it sounds like at the time you were there for a little bit, maybe. Yeah, it was dark. It were dark times that in 2000 through 2003, really dark. Uh, but you know, I've, I managed to keep living at some point. But um, it's really important to add because now we're getting into the real part of the story. 
When he says those were dark times, he's not being melodramatic. I got a hint of this the first time I talked to him outside the Clinton Street pub, just after one of his sets. You're going to jam it in my face like that? Um. I had asked if I could interview him, and before he could say yes, I shoved a microphone at him because I'm lacking in social grace, and I always think I need to record everything. But he was actually really accommodating, and when I asked him how he first got into hosting bar trivia, he told me this detailed story. He's got an incredible memory. It started with his first day in Portland. We were here in 95 initially. In fact, 20 years ago, Saturday, uh, July 11th, and I, I showed up, I, I, it was my first day in Portland, and actually my first meal was right there at Dot's Cafe across the street, which looks exactly like it did in 1995, which gives me a great deal of comfort. So I was here for a while, and I went through some, uh, some, some tough times, you know, in the end I was a little disillusioned and I lost both of my parents and I was just like sad. And so I went to live with my sister. And he glossed over what sounded like a very dark period. So the next time, or maybe the third time I talked to him, I don't know, I asked him about it again. Did, you, did your parents die at the same time? Yes. Did we talk about this last time? Oh, no. They did. They died. Well, they died 10 hours apart by separate, by a separate medical cause. Like, coincidentally, they died. But my sister and my brother and I, we, we like, we're like, we're at Temple University in, in, in Philadelphia. Dad's on the seventh floor. Mom's on the second floor, dying at the same time. Like, I remember I flew back from Portland, and it was like, I didn't know. I was still was, like, naive about it. My mother died of congestive heart failure. My father of... Emphysema. He had lung cancer, but it was really end-stage emphysema. And um, they just, just spiraled downward for three or four days where I didn't sleep. And um, He didn't sleep. He didn't eat. He wasn't taking drugs. Yet. As soon as it was all over, he went straight for his mom's morphine. After she, like, I, 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 I shooed, I, she had so much drugs, and, and I, 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 I was like, I'm not going to take I'm not going to dull the experience. I went through it all, and then... As soon as she died, like five minutes later, she's like on the couch, and I go in and I, I, I take her morphine, and I took that, and it you know it numbs the, uh, it kills emotional pain as well as it does physical pain, and and a week later after the funeral, that ran out, and I went right to North Philadelphia and got some heroin, and uh, which I, kind of fucked with before in the mid 90s, and then decided you know my friends were like, what are you doing, you dumbass, and I kind of wised up, you know, but then it was just too dark, I couldn't deal with it, so that was about a downward spiral there that uh, off and on for about four years until uh, it was either, like, live or die. And I moved back to Philadelphia from Portland and uh, made some good friends, and I, uh, it was, you know, then I was, like, just, I don't know, just quit. Just, like, it's like I can't do this. I don't know, it wasn't any fun anymore, you know. It was, not, it was never fun. There was no comfort anymore. And so I just, you know, got a normal job, had made a couple friends, and just was, like, really happy to be alive. Really <laughs> And it was there in Philadelphia that he noticed a lot of his friends and a lot of people were going to something called Quizzo. When I first heard it, I wasn't sure. I didn't know. I thought it was like a, like a, like a fucking, you know, like a company, Quizzo, Q-U-I-Z-Z-O. I was like, what is that? And it's like, well, it's bar trivia, which I didn't even know existed anyway, because it only did, you know, it comes from like UK. Um, I guess I had heard of it, but I had no concept of what it was. And so he went to some of these bar trivia nights, Quizzo in Philly, and he was not only great as a player, but 
he soon found out he was a natural host. And that's when, I think, everything turned around for him. Here's how he tells it. Okay, so I'm doing this stand-up, and there's this guy called Johnny Goodtimes. I guess I have to give him credit. And his real name's Jerome. But, um, uh, and he's going to uh, Mexico. I think he had some gig, like, calling, like, being an announcer at some dolphin show or something. I don't know how he got it. And he needed somebody to cover his, his, in Philadelphia, he had six bars. And so he had, like, this internet competition involving voting. And, um, and people could try out, and they came in and everybody got to vote on who had to cover his, his stuff. And um, basically I won his competition, and then I, um, I covered his shifts, or his shifts, his, his gigs while he was in, in, he was in Mexico. And it was two weeks long, maybe three, and I was like, this is the easiest fucking job in the world, you know? And so I was totally content, made great friends in Philadelphia that I love to this day, and I was really into being there, but... I just realized that like when he, when he came back, I was like, really, you can make a living? It's the only thing I'd ever thought of where I could make a living, you know, doing what I want to do is run my mouth and try and get laughs. So when he got back, I just, that day, I put my two weeks notice in, and, and about fucking 17 days later, I, I got on the Amtrak train and came out of here, came back. The sweetener. All right, let me, let me say What's naturally occurring but usually synthesized sugar substitute sweetener is actually a sugar. It has a third fewer calories than sucrose and is actually good for your teeth and can be found near the end of the dictionary. And he's been hosting bar trivia in Portland now for more than 10 years. The last eight of those years, he's been able to completely live off of it. The name of his bar trivia nights? Quizzy. I, I just got quizzy. By, I took Quizzo and just changed the last vowel. That's all I did. There are fewer calories than sucrose. It is actually good for your teeth. Got it? And you'll find it here at the end of the dictionary. Usually two to three days a week. I spend some time, a couple hours. So I probably spend about, on a, any given week, probably about six to eight hours writing questions. I uh, just look stuff up. You know, and some days are better than others. Sometimes you like usually not that irritating but sometimes frustrating I don't know why why it's not flowing but you'll spend like three hours looking shit up and nothing seems that good and of course you plunder other trivia sites and everything which I've now done almost to exhaustion I think <laughs> but um one time I was coming back from camping in eastern Oregon I wrote a quiz with the help of some friends who took notes just by looking at things around me going through like uh, going over Mount Hood looking at signs things are cute and you just be like as long as you make notes be like oh you know you say oh, shell oil what's up with that you know when you look something up with shell oil the history of it or the scallop which is the only sign you know you make notes and then you look things up once it clicks once you're going then you find oh that's an incredibly interesting fucking thing to know and with an act with it with an emphasis on things that are deducible as opposed to most people, you know, people are like, trivia, oh, it's useless knowledge, useless random knowledge. Well, you give them two different angles. That's my, it's what I try to do. So, like, tonight, for example, you know, the uh, asking somebody, the, the, uh, someone who produces what uh, food item, what kind of food item might boast of a monofloral variety. So they don't know it right away. That's the idea. So then the people participate, they actually have a discussion, and that's the best thing to see. And so the monofloral, by the way, is honey, because it's a single flower. And uh, so that's the way I try to write them, and, uh, you know, and I do as much as I can. Newts and salamanders are the amphibians. Nice work. Turtles and tortoises are reptiles, though, right? Number eight, um, monofloral, honey. 
The music. Only produced by, uh, you know, your single title flower. Remember, I don't know what they do, how they keep it from going other places and finding other flowers. I guess they keep them. I didn't look that part up. Number nine. Um, I, Part of the, the mission statement on a website even is like, it's not called a mission statement, but total rejection of anything ha that could possibly be published in People magazine. No Justin Bieber, no fucking American Idol, you know, as people ask these questions and I'm like, I don't care and I will not do that. And I suffer from it sometimes because it'll turn people off, but the people who are my fans will, wouldn't, you know, it would be, it would be shitty if I started doing that and I just can't, I can't stomach it, so I don't do it. So yeah, that's the idea is like being more, um, Knowledge-oriented, and, you know, if you learn something off it, I mean, I, the, sh the amount of stuff I know now that I didn't know 10 years ago, oh, my God. What they, that's the greatest thing. It's like I know so much shit. It's not like being really well-read and getting a Ph.D., you know. It's not that sort of edification, but it is a type of edification. And, um, you know, it's like if you, just learn, if you see one statistic or learn about a certain, you know, salamander or some shit, and then it'll go out of your mind. Like, eventually, most of the things you lose. But if you write it then ask it five or six times a week then grade people on it it kind of like you're doing an exercise and having it stick so like i actually am so much more knowledgeable now than i was when i started that's the other perk you know it's great well, i'm gonna see two bonus ones i got a lot of questions this week so there'll be two more fit them in wherever you want number, number 15 um what uh, irish uh, distiller has the ad slogan accurate ad slogan <laughs> The world's oldest whiskey distillery. The world's oldest whiskey distillery is a slogan. By the way, you can't go up to the bar and fucking use any binoculars to pierce bottles or anything like that. You stay away from the fucker. It might be on the bottle, I don't know. Uh, like everything, like any art form, which I don't think many people would ever regard trivia as that, to me, it's like, you know, it's, like, it's kind of like performance art or comedy or whatever, you know. It's like I'm, I'm, I'm doing it to sustain myself and to sustain my mind. And also, you know, like I think I said before, like trying to write things so that in people involve, they might not, they, so that they don't, if they don't know it right away, there are avenues towards them figuring out the answer that involve them interacting with each other. And, you know, the best compliment you know, I ever get, which is, I get a lot, actually, is, like, you know, that, like, you know, even if it's harder and they don't, you are know, like, well, we just, you know, I learned about shit. There's shit I never knew, you know, and we, we figured out a couple of things and we learned something. In, and then yet, and tomorrow I went to work and I knew about something and I talked to somebody about it, you know, that I never knew before and I'll never forget. That's the fucking, that's the fucking goal, man. Man, the shit I got to is hard. Make number 12. Number 12, uh, what is the largest country by far that lies entirely within Europe? And I keep paying attention to by far. Uh, no, I won't, say, I won't say no more. What is by far the largest country that lies entirely within Europe? It's almost eight years since I started doing it for a living. In that time, the fewest I've ever had is four, and that's only been briefly. Like I said, I have all the ambition of a lichen, but I'm getting better at that. But, like, when I, I worship summer, I worship hot weather, I want to be in the water all the time. And so when this, for several years, I was able to, when summer comes, I'm like, all I have to do is quizzy. Let's go to the river every fucking day. Number 13, what external factor will determine the sex of alligator eggs after they're laid? What external factor has nothing to do with the, the biology of the animal or, you know, it, it comes out neutral, and what external factor will 
determine whether the alligator that hatches from an alligator egg will be male or female. But lately, it's fucking geeks who drink, and it's other company last call, and I swear, I can't, I, I can't overstate what they've done to. Is they do this, they did the same, they've done the same thing to this, to what I do that Walmart did to every fucking small town store in America. Geeks who drink is this fucking company out of Denver. You should read their fucking sample quiz. Go to geekswhodrink.com and read their sample quiz. They only have, they, apparently they have eight rounds, but they only have two of them online. There are 20 questions as of three days ago that I read, and there's not a single one of those 20 questions that does not involve a celebrity. There's not one. There's a, there's a theme round with uh, Woody Allen and, uh, you know, uh, fucking Scorsese and who knows, Zsa uh, Gabor, and then a bunch of quotes, and you have to match the quote to the person. So that's kind of interesting, yes. I would, I would like to, you know, I could engage myself with that. And um, and be proud of the fact that I got, that I got them right. And the other one is I don't know, like um, complete the movie quote as read by Chewbacca or something. I don't know. And so yeah, that's kind of fun. And then what are you left with? Were you edified? You know, is there any? Do you feel like you actually accomplished anything? No, we just won. So it's like, well, what, if it's a fucking, what if, what if somebody give a, a knowledge quiz and there was no knowledge involved? Next one, uh, give me a portmanteau, and nobody bitch when I define it because most people don't know the word. A port, portmanteau is any sort of, is any combination of two words. Got it? Or like they're, they're, they're just like a, a, what, what do they call it? They would, they would maybe say a mashup now. So once again, um, I'm, I'm reading a question. Thank you very much. Uh, it's okay. You can talk amongst yourselves, but just don't yell so much. Um, Portmanteau coined by the media to describe people of a cer- in a certain type of small personal watercraft who uh, turned out en masse to uh, protest the uh, in Seattle against the sh- against Shell Oil's Polar Pioneer drilling vessel. Recently, a recent coinage. Uh, this portmanteau combination two words smashed up together there. That's it. That's the uh, donut down for you. Coined by media to describe people in a certain type of small personal watercraft who turned out en masse to uh, protest against Shell Oil's Polar Pioneer drilling vessel. Got it? I love you all. Since 2004, off and on, I've used two different uh, slogans. One is, since 2004, the only bar trivia that matters. The other one is, since 2004, Portland's only worthwhile bar trivia. But I've used both interchangeably. The only bar trivia that matters is a direct reference to a famous uh, review of The Clash, circa 81 or thereabouts, you know, London Calling, or maybe it's earlier than that, I don't know. But it's a famous review, maybe Rolling Stone, I have no idea where it came from, but it was like, they called them the only band that matters. And um, so I use that, and so then I walk into fucking Double Dragon, where you can get a $9 fucking Bon Me, and I walk into their bathroom, and the first time I, I ever saw any geeks who drink publicity they have this really nice fucking corporate poster on the back back of the bathroom door and it says uh, the the only pub quiz that matters i was like really is that just really out of the blue or is, is that just a coincidence i don't know but what they fucking their marketing is really like it is like somebody went inside of whatever my appeal would be and like or just whatever the appeal of portland you know like they, they know they're like they're they're appealing to like hey we're hip and people buy it right and left. And um, so now, like, I looked on Tuesday night. They had 24 events in the city alone, 24 bars in the city. and the, Well, the metropolitan area. 
24 bars. They go in with them. Um, they send salesmen in. A friend of mine who did a place in Cleveland when he's going to grad school, and he witnessed it. He had a, he had a bar, and uh, he had to quit because he was finished, you know, he was writing his, his thesis. So he had to quit his fucking bar. And um and they hired geeks to drink and then he went back like six months later and the guy's like man we're he's like this these people suck we want you back in you come back and uh, but he had hit guess what the bar owner had signed a fucking contract with a non compete clause after it committing himself to geeks to drink they were charging him one hundred and twenty five dollars per quiz and paying their quiz master twenty five dollars so they're pocketing a hundred and they're doing this all across the country. I, I counted uh, on that same Tuesday 184 separate events in 34 different states they're doing, and people are going to this. And then get and and, and they're like they come in and they send they I mean literally except for maybe the most scary fucking dive bar in the world, strip bars and shit like that. They went in they came into town like four four years ago, put their posters up and every even if they weren't in the bars, people let them put their posters up everywhere, every fucking window. They, everywhere and I like, yeah sure put it up like you know you're a struggling artist or something they go into every fucking bar they give them this they, they hire a salesman give them this pitch we have a six time Jeopardy winning you know six time Jeopardy winner and team of question writers and they fucking sold it to everybody every bar and by the time they were done with them which they're not yet they, whereas I used to be able to just go into a bar and be like hey here's what I do and they're like I could go into three bars and, and uh, I mean I could get work so easily like fucking six years ago and we're like, ah, and we're going to three or four bars, and I'm like, I'm confident, oh, I got new work. They're like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea, let's try it out. Now, either they're like mired in that corporate bullshit, or they've been through the ringer, and like, and the second you say trivia, they're like, no, 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 we're done with that, you know, or we'll do it ourselves, you know. So they have fucking destroyed this, and it's Portland, fucking Oregon. You're supposed to know better, you know, but nobody knows, and, and they keep going. So that's my, my, my new mission in life is to destroy those bastards do not go to geeks who drink last call trivia out of cincinnati also it's even well that's even worse that's like that's like the bro that's like the that's the bro version they got a million of them too that's like this super square like clubby type of i don't know they ask like four questions an hour it's insane just awful awful okay that's it. number four um, the Niagara River flows from from which great lake to which great lake? You must uh, indicate which you know with an arrow which one is which. Number five. Uh, you want to make fourteen dollars the hard way? Is a, is a line from what classic revered comedy film? Number yeah, it's a line of dialogue. Number sixteen. Of course, after all that, I asked him if there were trivia hosts in town that he liked, and he did not hesitate to answer. Car. Car Mankey, K-E-R-R, like Steve Kerr, um, but it's pronounced Car. Um, he uh, he lived with me in 2009, and um, he I, I when I traveled, he, he substituted for me, and he was kind of like my little protege, and I mean little, as in a tiny little child that I can, I can keep a collar on and fucking spank him and shit. No, no. But um, he is below me. No. He's... he's, he's a, oh, no, he's great. He's, no, he's the second best quiz master. He is, he is. Um, he's really good. People love him. They often confuse it because he, he, he did quizzes under the quizzy banner for a long time. And after a while, I was like, finally, like, people were getting confused. They thought it was me. So I was like, so he started his own and came up with a much better name, Bar Exam, which is like the coolest fucking, it's a great name. Son of a bitch. And he has a logo and shit too. Sophisticated. But, um, yeah, he's almost as good as me. I swear to God. Like if you're on a bad day, he's, he's like nearly as good as like some of my worst. (laughs) No, he's really good. 
Um, he does his own. People dig him. He's like, he's got you know he's got character. He's got he's he's good. He's good. Um, nobody else I know though. I mean, there's Shanrock's trivia. That's my main competitor. Shanrock started about six months after me. She's always been super nice to me. I've uh, I've actually never been to one of her quizzes. Some people say it's good. Other people will say you know I think it's just more pop culture than me. But it's and she is definitely more business minded and she has quiz masters and shit. But fucking good for her. You know she makes a living. She's not like a fucking you know she's not like a Best Buy or something. You know you know what I mean? It's like she makes a living. She makes better living probably than I do and. Number 14, it's weird, right? Number 14, nobody got. Only, only two quiz, uh, questions nobody got. The telephone is why they, uh, why they invented the transistor. I mean, the telephone work. Number 15, Bushmills is the Irish. Still Number 16. When I feel best about myself is when I write a quiz that is full of, like, you know, those sorts of things where, like, I should stop trying saying like. You gotta get like out of your vocabulary, right? Um, and just in general, um, where somebody's like, oh, holy shit, no way. That's what you want. It's like, oh my God, really? Or, you know, watch them. I ask it, and they're like, what? Say that again. And I say it again, and then they're like, what? And they're like, you can watch them, and they're like, uh, you know, struggle over it. And then all of a sudden, somebody's like, oh, fuck, yeah. Yeah, you're right. That's it. That's what, then they've had a fucking, they've had a decent time. Not just like, uh, what's the capital of South Dakota? Pierre. Boom. Put it down. Do you know this? No, I don't know it. Do you know it? No, I don't know it. I know it. Boom. Put it down. Seven points. Three time for second. Pinball Street. 92 points. What's the quizzy? Um, thanks a lot for playing quizzy. Please remember. I'll be back next week. I'm here every Monday. Come all the time, please. Please remember that no matter how well or how poorly you did it, my mind is you are all losers. <laughs> Well, that's our episode. Go to www.quizzyportland.com to find out when and where Roy's next quiz nights are. It really is a great time. Patton Oswald's book, Zombie Spaceship Wasteland, is published by Scribner. His newest book, Silver Screen Fiend, is better. This episode was edited and produced by myself, Sonny Bleckinger. Questions and comments? Email us at podcast at iprc.org. Since 1998, the IPRC has facilitated creative expression, identity, and community by providing individual access to tools and resources for creating independently published media and artwork. Learn more at iprc.org. Thanks for listening. Yeah.